0: Hello, and welcome to the Faculty Chronicles, TFC, a podcast sponsored by the Turo Center on Excellence in Teaching and Learning and the Office of the Provost. Your TFC podcast hosts are me, Professor Gina Bardwell, and Dr. Elizabeth Uni. Across academic disciplines, Turo faculty are producing great work, and the Faculty Chronicles wants you to hear all about it. TFC podcasts will highlight faculty chatting about their favorite project in research, teaching, learning, science, medicine, technology, and so much more. So let's get busy building community, connection, and continuous conversation tour-wide. Our next Faculty Chronicle guest is on deck waiting to chat. Dr. Chitra Pai is a professor in basic sciences at Turo University, College of Osteopathic Medicine in California. Dr. Pai has 29 years of experience as a medical educator. She teaches microbiology and infectious diseases to medical students. Her experience spans medical colleges across the globe, including India, Nepal, the Caribbean Islands, and the United States. Her passion for teaching is reflected in the multiple awards she has won for teaching excellence, as well as the best professor in basic sciences award for multiple years in a row, including 2022. Welcome Dr. Pai, thank you for spending time with us today and for speaking on the topic of medical school burnout and how to mitigate it with active teaching strategies and advisement. It is such a relevant and important subject. So let's dive in. Characterize for us
1: what burnout is? First of all, uh, Professor Budwell, thank you so much for that kind introduction. It's an absolute pleasure to be here today and to be talking to you about medical student burnout, because this has been brewing for quite some time and uh, it has actually got escalated right during this pandemic because of all the challenges and the insecurities posed by the pandemic. So as defined by the National Academy of Medicine, Medical st- student burnout is a psychological syndrome which is associated with physical and mental stress, and that in itself can induce a lot of emotional exhaustion, a sense of depersonalization, and also a sense of reduced personal accomplishments. So, basically, this is a train of self defeating thoughts that starts percolating into their psyche. And, you know, if not mitigated at the earliest, this can lead to chronic stress, depression and ability to provide only sub-optimal care to the patients. And there's a lot of research out there which says that, you know, almost 80% of students report very high levels of stress. More than 50% of them actually experience tremendous burnout. And what is indeed very alarming is that a lot of these students do not even have proper coping mechanisms. For instance, 33% of You know, in general, the global medical students are known to resort to alcohol abuse, or maybe even substance abuse, or even have suicide ideation. You know, these are the students that we are actually training to be the healers of the future, but in the process, they're getting wounded themselves. You know, this is something that affects everybody across the
0: board. And to think about it in terms of medical student burnout, you know, these are our boots on the ground. They're sort of our first responders. It's so important to, to, to look at all of these issues and to think about what we could do as a medical community to, again, mitigate those issues. But what made you interested in this topic?
1: When I was a medical student myself, way back in the 1980s, there was a lot of stress that I faced. Um, You know, I remember myself as that bright young kid who was like on cloud nine. I had made it to medical school and it seemed to me like I had reached the pinnacle of success, right? Because I had made it to medical school. It was so competitive. And although I had been warned about how arduous this journey can be, and I put, you know, I put in all the sweat and toil to become a very sincere student, I did find that on many days my stress levels were actually hitting the ceiling and all this you know got even more escalated because as i I was graduating i had to look at my personal life and that's the time i got married and when i went in to do my residency i had this small one-year-old daughter also to care for so i was constantly juggling between the responsibilities of my residency as well as taking care of my personal obligations and responsibilities i kept stretching myself trying to do everything perfectly well and when, as I stretched, stretched and stretched myself, guess what, what happened? It's like stretching a rubber band and after some time it's going to snap, right? Right. And exactly. That is what happened to me. My intervertebral prolapsed, uh, disc just prolapsed. So in colloquial terms, that is, a uh, you know, slipped disc. That is what I suffered from. There was a time when I was in the hospital almost for a good 10 days and I was in pain. I was not able to move. And at that time, it did give me an opportunity to really introspect and think about where had how did I get into this situation? Um, Did I work so hard only to land on a hospital bed and suffer like a patient myself? Luckily, I got all the support from my family, my husband, my parents, uh, and I came out of that situation. But this also was an opportunity for me to look at things that recalibrate my life and i decided that what can change is the way i perceive things right and at that time i heard about the art of living foundation and came across some wonderful uh, you know tools that they were teaching so i enrolled for that course and i did what is known as the happiness course and wow. it also teaches you uh, you know the yogic pranayamic breathing techniques which kind of soothes your autonomic nervous system and when i had some of those techniques you know under my belt over a period of time, I learned how to manage my stress.
0: I think it's interesting how much mental burnout, as you just described, can affect our physical well being. We can burn out physically too. And together in tandem, it, it can be one big sort of mental
1: and physical burnout breakdown, if you will. Absolutely, yes. And as I became more positive in my outlook, I could see that that translated into better health. So the idea of breathing, which I don't think people
0: give as much credit to as need be, when I mean, we talk about mindfulness and meditation, but that, that the breathing techniques that you were just describing are so important to sort of calm the nervous system and to uh, get people recalibrated. So a faculty person says, I'm burned out. And they might be feeling the need to rediscover or reimagine their academic purpose. What do you notice when medical students show signs of
1: burnout? So one of the impending signs of a burnout is, um, all of a sudden you see that some students who are very regularly attending class are now not seen anymore. So they're physically absent from where they are. Or sometimes you'll find students where otherwise regular, You know they're missing out on deadlines in submitting their assignments. But perhaps the best metrics that can define that is you know when you follow their performance in exams, somebody who was really acing it now is showing a tremendous downhill. So these are some of the red flags which come up. And uh, these are some of the things that we need to keep in mind as we plan out some early interventions for students. Apart from this, evidence of burnout also becomes um, visible when you know we have our uh, mentor meetings. We have our mentor-mentee meetings and then we discuss about how things are going in general for them. So some of the students voluntarily come out and tell us, you know, they feel that they are in a safe space and they are able to share with us and tell us what exactly is, you know, kind of um, a- acting as impeding factors for their uh, academic progress or wellness in general, yeah.
0: So Dr. Pai, how do active or changing learning environments influence medical student burnout and or resilience? Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, actually, because that's something that directly impacts student learning Uh, so when we look at the multifarious factors that lead to student burnout one of the major stresses is undoubtedly the you know just the plethora of information that we throw out on students and not only just the volume of the information it's also about the pace at which that information is getting delivered and it's very common to use the analogy of forcing our students to drink off the fire hose And that has never been more relevant to medical education than ever before. So what's happening is we as teachers, we actually need to be cognizant of the fact that our students are digital natives, whereas we basically are digital immigrants. And adding to that is the fact that, you know, passive learning techniques are losing their charm simply because the average human attention span has decreased and there's a lot of research to support that it's just about eight seconds, which is supposed to be less than that of a goldfish. So keeping in mind that we have our students who you know, are digital natives and also our students who may not have very uh, you know, a long attention span, it doesn't make sense to just go about lecturing conventionally like the way we were used to, because today you know we, are, we live in a world where all the information is available to them just at the click of a button. So they don't actually require us to give them that information. What they require us to do is to help them curate that information and make it relevant to application so that they are able to become lifelong learners and critical thinkers and are able to apply all that for clinical problem solving. And in the project about the spicing up of e-learning, that stood for a student centered, problem-based, integrated, clinical or community-based and e-learning approach which uh, involved a flip classroom model which was very effective um, also we made use of team based uh, sessions within the flip class it became super beneficial especially during the pandemic where students were socially distant it gave them an opportunity to come together as groups although they were virtually you know within the groups and they were socially distant so they could interact within groups and within an environment of intellectual camaraderie, they could actually solve questions. So feedback from students showed us that this was one of the most valuable um, learning experiences that they gained uh, in Toro. And you know, it, it required me to design out a lot of cases based on certain learning objectives that I had already given them. So I gave them enough time and enough material to come prepared for the session, which they could do asynchronously. And then I got all of them into the Zoom room, and then we had this mandatory um, flipped classroom where, first of all, they had to take an individual assessment so that you know, each of them were accountable for their own performance. And then what we did was we sent them into the Zoom room, um, different Zoom breakout rooms where, again, they got the same set of questions. We used a very good digital platform called InterDashboard, which is really it was a boon you know, during the COVID pandemic. So they could again access the questions and then discuss within the teams and input their answers. And then finally, we brought them back into the main Zoom room and we had this kind of mega wrap-up <laughs> where you know students were free to ask us questions. That also brought in an element of professionalism because then they have to respect each other within the team, and that was a kind of training for them to you know because um, in the future they are supposed to deliver healthcare as teams. So. Having cohesive teams is so important for optimum healthcare.
0: Oh, it's very important. It almost as you are describing, and it, it almost reminds me of what we do at conferences. Yes. When you go into uh, breakout rooms, and you're with you're with new people, and within that that those breakout rooms, teams are formed, and you know questions are are answered, and there's a lot of you know, group thinking, interaction, a lot of critical thinking.
1: And it actually took them through the higher order of thinking and learning.
0: So how important is faculty interaction or empathy to a student like who is a perfectionist or stressed out or or, are falling
1: behind? Yeah, this is a wonderful question. Actually, I'll say it is extremely important because, you know, I can give you an example of the best analogy I can think of is just like a seed has the potential to grow into an oak tree. You know, we know that our students do have the potential to be able to shine and to be able to, you know, provide a lot of service to the communities that they live in. But all that they need is the right amount of soil and the weather conditions. So when we think of all these environmental conditions that are required for nurturing a seed, you know, it's very similar to the kind of environment that that we should be providing our students. And students um, do require that support in the form of a good learning environment so it's not just about you know, giving them a lot of information, a plethora of. Medical knowledge, but it's more about creating those conducive conditions where they are enthused to learn where they are enthusiastic about problem solving. Where they are able to share spaces and discuss with each other, we generally think that it's only the low performing students that really require advice but. That's not the case. I've seen a lot of high performing students also getting very stressed out, especially because they have this perfectionist kind of attitude and they are kind of beating themselves so much they're aiming for better and better. They're trying to stretch themselves out of their confines. And I think that itself can cause a lot of stress for those high performing students. And the low performers have been witness to their ongoing decline in their academic performances. So they are in that negative spiral. So both these types require support. It's important to tell the high performer, make some time, carve out some time, go out, go out for a walk or exercise, eat healthy. And at the same time for the low performers, we have to uh, kind of instill the self-confidence in them so that they are able to emerge out of that negativity and uh, perform at their peak. And I think the most important message that I like to give my students is that their grades in the exam will not or do not define their ability to become good practitioners in the future. Given over a period of time, if they have sufficient time to process the material, they are going to ace it. So this is how I approach. First of all,
0: the way you described your original analogy was poetic and beautifully described. So you really watched students at both ends of the spectrum. Like you say, the high performers and those that are uh, perhaps falling behind, you have to have different strategies to speak to each one of them, to motivate them in different ways, and then and to give both of those populations of students confidence. So when a student reaches out to you, or, or you notice from their academic performance that they need more help, where do you even begin uh, to assess and, and, and then better support them?
1: Okay. So there are different instances where students may reach out or sometimes it's more of we reaching out to the students. We have um, a list of students that might require an early intervention program. So what we do is we arrange for Zoom meetings. So this is a friendly meeting which has SPC member as one of the attendees. It has the student, the mentor of the student, uh, if possible. Here, we are trying to make them aware of all the resources that are available on campus. And in case they have some difficulties, you know, they can always reach out to the learning specialist and we have a tremendous team. So what we have observed is many times students are very shy to come back. But when we have such meetings, they very nicely open up and they see that they are in a very safe environment. It's all the more possible to help them out with the resources that they need. What do you do? One thing is we do encourage our students to fill out the WARM form. So WARM is an acronym for wellness, academics, resiliency, and uh, men, uh, the mindfulness. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really, I like that a lot. Yeah. So this is a program which our students are introduced to. And this is something that Toro University, California College of Medicine is very proud about. So as part of the WARM program, there are a lot of things we do. One is we do carve out warm time, time within the course schedules which means every other week, they might have two hours reserved just for warm sessions. And those sessions could touch upon anything. It could be about personal wellness. We could have some guests coming in to speak about their experiences with wellness and how they could balance their career and their personal lives. Or it could be something as simple as just reciting some poetry or singing. Or there are also warm sessions where people get to paint together or also talk about some situations which really made them strong. So sharing stories. And I myself am keen on meditation sessions during these warm sessions. That is something that helps students wellness. You don't have no assignments to take, no exams to worry about, just focus on your own wellness. The warm form has a very structured questionnaire that focuses on different aspects of how they rate their own academic performances or progress. So the mentor gets access to this form and there are two times within a semester where there are mandatory warm meetings between the mentor and the mentee so it's a one on one session. Which is mandatory, the discussion may not be just academic it can also be about so many other things and. At the end of it, we do come out with some you know plan as to what is working well and what's not working well and what needs to be tweaked. And you know, those are some of the sessions where I on my own have taught some of my mentees about those breathing techniques. And I I got their feedback saying that it was immensely helpful for them just before the exams. You know, they could just quickly breathe, follow those techniques, and they felt very calm. So those are some of the interventions we have for burnt out students.
0: I think it's great. I remember having a professor when I was in graduate school who used to give us at the beginning of our course, 10 minutes to do nothing because he knew we were running from campus to campus. He knew that some people hadn't eaten. He knew that some people probably hadn't slept, but you got there and you got that 10 minutes of just sort of deep breathing or just to be quiet, to do nothing. And then he would begin class. And we were so appreciative of that. Absolutely. So tell us what are some of the reasons that maybe a medical student won't reach out or or ask for help when, when they're feeling overwhelmed or, or under-supported?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a very, very good question that you have asked me. First of all, it might just be a sheer lack of time. You know, they are just moving from one learning activity into the other. They have to view so many lectures and then there are assessments and then there are exams. So in the you know, gamut of all these things, they may just not be able to find out time to catch up with something that they had forgotten, and they want to meet the faculty with. Okay, so that could be one. But another major reason is that they sometimes fear a lack of confidentiality. They're worried that if they come out into the open, into the open, you know, they might, you know, their weakness might get exposed. They may feel vulnerable, and um, many of them also have some uh, issues like mental issues like depression and all that, and they're not very ready. Uh, Because of the stigma that might be associated they're not ready to come out in the open they're also you know worried that some of the documentation may go into their academic record which, of course, will not happen. Um, And you know, sometimes they just have the fear of unwanted interventions, they feel they're better off uh, going to their own primary care provider or seeking you know help off campus. But that's the culture we want them to you know want to change and make them realize that we do have a lot of resources available on campus. Just don't feel shy just come ahead and we are here to help you You know that's the messaging that we want to send across and hopefully students will get that message. So do you think that the the silence
0: and stigma around burnout is lifting and and what new conversations,
1: what do they sound like when you speak to students. We are trying to create more awareness mm-hmm. and actually i would like to make a special mention of uh, our students from the class of 2023 last year uh, with the passing of one of their own class fellows wow and they actually formed what is known as the shack which is the student health advisory committee okay and they felt the need to have this because amidst you know having to bear the loss of their own class fellow, they were also feeling the stress of this ongoing pandemic. And they felt that there was a need to investigate certain potential gaps which might need to be improved. They wanted to foster better collaboration between faculty, students, and staff. And they actually wanted to identify and reduce barriers to mental health access. So this was a wonderful uh, initiative which is taking shape in a big way. what is important is the stressors are not going to change. But what is important is, can you think of doing some inner engineering and then try to see that you don't get affected as much by these stressors? So that's the kind of, you know, initiatives we are trying to get. Well, I, I
0: love your term inner engineering. I think that's great. And, and I also think it's great that now burnout is being talked about. It's not something that you sweep under the rug or you keep secret. So I have a final question for you. You you spoke earlier about what made you interested in this topic and you shared some of your uh, personal experiences. Will you now share some of your wellness techniques, the ones that you use when you're feeling overwhelmed, burned out or or you're losing energy?
1: That's that's a very nice question, actually. Thank you. For that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Uh, With my work, what I try to do is I try to become creative, and when I bring in this element of creativity, you know, I'm trying to look at my PowerPoints, I'm trying to change things, I want to make it more beautiful. So when I start becoming creative, that kind of brings more enthusiasm for me. Uh, I'm trying to look at new information and how best to incorporate it, so constantly I'm trying to bring about innovations in my teaching styles so that is something that you know has really helped me uh, stay very um, energetic and uh, passionate about my teaching but apart from that uh, during the weekends i am like i've shut down my computer and i don't even want to look at any of my work as much as is possible although it doesn't happen all the time but otherwise as much as possible you know once we are into the weekend i want to do all fun activities i might just want to listen to a lot of music. I'm also learning um, uh, Indian classical music. So I have my Zoom sessions for music. I also like to dance. I do that. I go Zumba dancing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that too, that's great.
1: <laughs> and then as part of my daily regime, as much as possible, I try to focus on eating healthy. I also go for you know long nature walks because I, I, I'm not a gym kind of a person. I just love to walk in nature. So I do that. I listen to a lot of music. And I also like to do some cooking. So going into my yogic breathing sessions every day, which is called pranayams, and doing my uh, sahaj meditation, which is a spontaneous kind of meditation. This is what brings a lot of happiness to me because I try to then tune inwards rather than you know go outwards. And tuning inwards helps me kind of find that peace. Right, that inner peace. Yes.
0: Well, Dr. Pai, it has been so enlightening speaking with you today, and I thank you, and I'm sure our audience thanks you for all of this great information.
1: I hope you will come back. Thank you so much, Professor Bortbell. And it's been really nice sharing some insights into what I have experienced as a medical educator.
0: We look forward to having you back very soon. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I'm so grateful. Thank you for tuning in
0: to the Faculty Chronicles, TFC, Turo's podcast featuring the projects and work of faculty throughout the Turo College and University system. TFC is sponsored by the Office of the Provost and Kettle, the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning. We hope you like what you heard and will keep listening. So join us next time on the Faculty Chronicles as we highlight and share faculty achievements that build community, connection, and continuous conversation.